Pastor Dan, good morning, Encounter Church, and uh, Merry Christmas Eve, right? I didn't stutter or say it twice there. Merry Christmas Eve. It's good to see so many of you here. Again, uh, someone mentioned to me a few minutes ago, they said everyone who's here should get like bonus points because they came last night and you came again this morning. So uh, we're really glad to see you. Glad to see especially some of you uh, who maybe are home uh, for Christmas break. I know we got some couple college students who are here. Got the Bone Boys, right? Andrew and Stephen. Stephen heard there was going to be a good service here, so he flew in from Guam, uh, all the way from Guam. But glad to have uh, both of you here joining with us, and James and Jennifer, of course, and their family. So it's fun uh, to be able to just gather uh, as a church family. Go ahead, if you're, if you're not there, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Uh, over this um, December, over these December months, we've been Considering this season of Advent, it's a season of waiting, and we're uh, trying to learn to wait just because we do live in a very uh, impatient world, it seems. And so you'll find the book of Luke there uh, in the New Testament. If you're using one of the Bibles uh, that you find there, your chairs, you'll find it on page 1,460 page 1,460, and I'm going to uh, read uh, this portion uh, starting in verse 36, and then we'll read uh, there uh, through verse 38, and I'm so grateful for Joyce uh, sharing her testimony this morning and uh, sharing just some of her reflections as far as the importance that Anna's example has had on her life and the encouragement from that, and so now we're going to read God's word and uh, we'll continue meditating on on these truths. So we find ourselves here in Luke chapter 2 and uh, follow along with me uh, there starting in verse 36. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, Phanel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, and she's coming up to Mary and Joseph again, remember, uh, there she saw the Messiah, the Christ child there. So coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, we've probably all heard the saying, it's worth the wait, right? Are you familiar with that saying? Uh, maybe, there's, uh, maybe you've been hearing about this new restaurant in town, and the line to get in uh, tends to be long because it's new, and people say that the food is good, and then... Uh, then you go and put your name in, in the long list and you sit there and you wait and you wait and you wait a little bit longer and then finally the meal arrives and you eat it and then you leave and you say, man, that was, whew, that was worth the wait, right? Have you ever said that in those situations? Or maybe you've been saving up for that dream vacation and, and the day finally arrives when you board the plane to fly off for a week in paradise. You might say, whew, man, this is going to be great. It's worth the wait. Or maybe your baseball team hasn't won a World Series in decades. And finally, they win the championship. 
right? I know some of you, if you're um, a Chicago Cubs fan, you know, right, there's that time where that was happening and, and other teams, right? You've had those droughts and finally they, they win the championship and you say, oh, this is right, the victory, it's so sweet. This was worth the wait. We do use that phrase probably more often than we realize. Of course, if something, uh, if, if, if we're disappointed in what we're waiting for, then what do we say? Oh man, forget it. <laughs> It's not worth the wait. I remember early in our marriage, shortly after my wife and I uh, graduated from college, we got married and we were living in Indianapolis and we decided to go out to eat at this nice Italian restaurant. Or at least we thought it was a nice Italian restaurant. It was kind of a, a local place there. And we, uh, we had a, an engagement later in the evening, but we thought we'll give ourselves enough time to go and uh, eat a meal. And again, we were, we were still green to the, the ways of the world a bit in this regard. And so we went and got our seat there at the restaurant and we placed our order and we waited and we waited and we waited. And we saw people coming in, eating their meals and leaving, right? Coming in to getting takeout and leaving. And we're, we're still there waiting, waiting, waiting. And again, right, we're still kind of new, right? We weren't exactly sure, you know, how do we handle this situation? Do we file a complaint? What do we do? But we just sat there trying to be patient, looking at our watches, knowing that we were going to now be late for our engagement. We waited over two hours. And, the, and, we, and we actually got our meal to go, if I'm not mistaken. The manager generously gave us a 10% discount. Uh, but the, what's interesting is the waiter. This is funny. The waiter actually, we said, you know, what, what's the hang up? You know, what's going on here? And we think they just obviously misplaced our order. And uh, because they were actually, they started avoiding our table after a while. And, and they, they said, well, this is a special dish where they actually have to make the pasta in the back. And we thought, wow, well, this clearly is not worth waiting for. And, uh, and we, would, we walked away from that situation saying, no, nah, it's not worth the wait. It certainly isn't worth the two hours that we put. But we use that word because we think about the value of what we're waiting for, don't we? And we kind of measure it. And we say, if I'm going to wait this long, then it needs to be worth the wait. Now, again, we, we tend to be impatient people. I've mentioned that already. But we'll wait for something if we believe it's worth waiting for. If there's something of value, if there's something of great enjoyment at the end of that waiting, then we'll be willing to stick it out a little bit longer and we'll keep waiting. This morning, the big idea for the sermon is this. Our waiting is sustained by our longing. Our waiting, because this is what we see here in Anna, especially there at, the, at verse 38, what does she say? Uh, there at verse 38, it says, they were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the longing that Anna and the people had. They're longing for that. And we're going to see how Anna gives us an example of faithful waiting. And where she's, it, it, she's going to say, it's, it's worth the wait. Last Sunday, Pastor Dan introduced us to Simeon, a man who was waiting for the consolation of the Lord through the Christ child, that, that Jesus came to console us in our sorrow. And we learned last week, Pastor Dan taught us that Jesus is the comfort that our hearts have been longing, have been waiting for. And so it's here, our study this morning introduces us to Anna, who's listed as a prophetess. 
who she's going to serve to us as another example of faithfulness in our waiting. Now, let, I think we have to set the stage a little bit for, for this text because you have to keep in mind that the book of Luke uh, starts after, begins after a long period of the Jewish people waiting. I mean, obviously you back it up way, all the way back to the, the book of Genesis. Although, you know, you're looking at thousands of years but even during a lot of that stretch, they had God's prophets who were speaking to them, who were giving them encouragement, who were giving them instruction. But the book of Luke actually comes, Jesus comes onto the scene after what was a period of 400 years of what is often called the 400 years of silence. Imagine waiting having not heard from the Lord, your people having not heard from the Lord for 400 years. Church, we struggle to wait four minutes to get that text reply, right? Don't we? 400 years that these people have been faithfully waiting, this remnant of Jewish people, and as a member of this remnant of the Jewish people, that they have, they have endured that long period of silence, generation after generation, after generation after generation, of holding fast to God's promises. So I think that helps give us a little bit, even better appreciation for Simeon, who's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And now we have Anna, who faithfully waited on the Lord. And so we're looking here at Anna's example, and I, I do believe that we're going to see that our waiting, I mean, there, what else do we have to sustain us in, in, in our waiting, especially in a dry season of life, in a 400 years of silence like this, other than the fact that there's a longing for what they're waiting for. I'd like to first look here at what we see of, of Anna's heritage of waiting. We see Anna's heritage of waiting there in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. I think we should take note how Luke brings this to our attention. Right? He doesn't mention this for Simeon or many others that he lists there in his book. But we notice how Luke brings to our attention Anna's family line. Right? He mentions her father. Uh, his name, Phanuel, the name itself means this, and this is helpful. The face of God. The face of God. And it seems to be no coincidence that Anna is truly the, one of the first to truly see the face of God. Right? With her father's name being mentioned, which, a name that means the face of God, and here she will see the Christ child we're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God in human flesh. In John 14, 9, Jesus told the people, he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so here we have, right, Anna's heritage. Her father's name means the face of God. And Anna herself will indeed see the very physical face of God. There in the Christ child. We're also told that Anna was from the tribe of Asher. The tribe of Asher. Now, if you'll remember, if you go back into the Old Testament, right, there were 12 tribes of Israel that God had established. 
The tribe of Asher was one of the ten tribes that was, right, you'll remember there was a divided kingdom uh, where, where two of the tribes and ten of the tribes, kind of, there was a division among them, and ten of those tribes then were carried off into captivity in 722 BC. The Assyrian army came down and, and carried off the ten northern tribes, and, and those tribes, the people in that tribe, they, those tribes were essentially, by worldly standards, they were dissolved. They assimilated into the Assyrian way of life. And these ten tribes, <clears throat> they came to be known as the lost ten tribes of Israel. But here we have, again, Luke brings to our attention that Anna comes from one of those lost ten tribes. I think we can say that what was once lost has now been found. It's also helpful to point out that we really don't know much about the tribe of Asher. The tribe itself really doesn't stand out much in the list of who's who's, who's who among uh, tribes of Israel. Like many of the other tribes of Israel, the people had seasons of obedience. They had seasons of disobedience in the Lord. And yet here's Anna, a descendant of one of these lost tribes of Israel. She's standing as a witness to the Christ child. I think it's a reminder that God has a way of using some of the unlikeliest and some of the often forgotten people for his most important work. Here in the New Testament, the tribe of Asher comes to light because of a faithful elderly woman. It also, I think, brings to our attention that she's from the tribe of Asher. It brings to our attention how her family, generation after generation after generation, was faithful to the Lord even in the midst of living in exile and living in Assyrian captivity. At some point, Anna's family makes it back to Jerusalem. We don't know where or which generation came back from Assyria and made their way back to Jerusalem, but at some point, and then bear in mind, this, her family line had endured the 400 years of silence as well. But what did the family do? They con continued reminding themselves of God's truth. I think it's always beautiful when we have families sitting together in the rows. I appreciate Steve and Linda Dill, right? They're with James and Jennifer and Benjamin and Joshua and Tom, right? They're passing on that heritage of faith to the next generation. And so I wonder, parents, this is an encouragement to us. In the generations down the way, are we establishing are we maintaining that foundation of faith and passing it on to our children so that they can endure years and generations of living in exile, living as sojourners in this world? So we see Anna's heritage. She comes from, she comes from a deep heritage of waiting. The next one then, the next interesting meditation or observation that we might be able to make is Anna's commitment in waiting. And Joyce has done a, a wonderful job. I've mentioned that already. Joyce has done a wonderful job kind of putting some skin to that 
in our day and age with her life. But Luke brings to our attention that Anna had been widowed for many years. The Bible tells us that her husband died after their seventh anniversary. Now, assuming they were married young, which would have been very typical in that day and age, it, it was not, or it was quite common for a 13 to 14 year old girl to be married. Right now, you think of that. You think of some of these young ladies where you would be at. Right, Sterling, how old are you now, sis? Eleven. Yeah. So I got a couple years until I have to send her away, find a good man for her. Right. We can talk about the dowry later. But you you think about that. If if they were if 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 Anna was married in her early teens, she would have been married to her husband then for seven years. So she's then in her early twenties. And now the scripture tells us she's 84. Imagine that. From the age of around 20 to the age of 84, you're living as known as a widow. And I think, I, I also know even here among us, there are some young widows here. Widowhood doesn't just happen to those who are elderly. And yet we see Anna made a choice. Rather than growing bitter in her situation, she, to she chose to trust the Lord. I don't know what her response was when she was first widowed, right, in, in her early 20s. We don't know that. But it seems <clears throat> clearly over the progression of her life till she's 84, there's evidence that she had made a choice to not grow bitter toward the Lord. Boy, it's easy, isn't it, sometimes when maybe life doesn't go our way for our first response to just be bitterness or anger. We have to be careful of that because within that, those, there's seeds where if we allow those roots of bitterness to, to get too deep in our hearts, by the time we're 84, we will be grumpy old men and grumpy old women. But we see here for Anna, it seems like that wasn't the case for her. We see that Anna turned away from bitterness and chose to be faithful. Why? Because clearly it says she believed in the promises of God, God's word. She, there was a longing in her heart. She was determined that, that what she's waiting for is worth the wait. In verse 37 then, Luke tells us how Anna stayed at the temple. Why did she stay at the temple? Well, it seems that she believed in the promises of God. She was looking forward to, actually, in fact, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, you can jot that down and look at it later. I'll read it to us. But in Malachi 3, chapter 1, keep in mind, Malachi is like that first final prophet leading into the 400 years. And it's in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, where the prophet Malachi says, he's, he's God's spokesman, he says these words, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And who's that? Do we know, right? Remember? John the Baptist, he's the one. But then, after that, Malachi says this, he says, but then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple will come to his temple. And so, so these saints of old, these, these followers, these, these ones who believed in the coming Messiah, they knew Malachi. And so Anna says, I want to be first in line for when the Lord, when the Messiah shows up at the temple. 
Because God tells me at some point he's going to show up at the temple. And so I want to be there. We also see, and you take note, look there at verse 38, and I've mentioned this already, that there were others who also were there looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. That they're actively looking for the redemption. This implies an active way of, of living. They're putting, right, they're putting the welcome mat out for the Messiah. And they're, they're awaiting the fulfillment of God's promises. We see how in Anna's entire life was lived in anticipation of the fulfillment of what God had promised to his people. She said, this is worth waiting for. And we see here how God fulfilled his promises. That God was faithful and Anna experienced it firsthand. That the heritage of faith that had been instilled in her and her family line all those years, she was able to to see the fruit of that. I think one of the great dangers of our time, of our time of waiting, is that we become content and comfortable with the here and now. I've mentioned this already over the last few weeks, right? We, We fall prey to the old saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? The world says there's nothing, there's nothing for us to really long for. And so live it up now. We fall prey to those old sayings as if someone were somehow convinced um, that there's nothing else. So the world says live for yourself, live for the moment. And slowly, ever so slowly, what happens in our hearts, we become satisfied with this world the longing, the redemption of Jerusalem, the redemption of Christ's return, right, starts to grow faint in our hearts and we start taking hold of what the world has to offer us. Anna shows us what it means to be committed. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Christ's return. In a similar way that the Old Testament believer was waiting for the coming of the Messiah, we too, living on this side of the cradle and the cross, we are waiting for Christ's return. In our kitchen on one of the shelves, my wife has a print up by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis said these things, said, said these words, said a whole lot of good words. But this in particular, Lewis reminds us, he says, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. There are far, far better things ahead than anything we're going to leave behind. And yet the danger is, is we hold on to all the things that we we feel we're going to miss out and leave behind. And we forget, right? Because we're holding on to those things, and our longing for Christ's return has grown dim. It's a struggle now for us to wait. But Anna shows us what waiting looks like. Now before moving on, I'd like us to also think about one other thing. Is that Anna's commitment to the Lord was lived out one day at a time. Like our tendency is to think, wow. 
She lived as a widow from 20 to 84, right? 64 years, and yet she was growing in this faithfulness. And we look at that in a large chunk of a faithful life, and we think, there's no way I could do that. But I think we, we tend to forget that Anna demonstrated commitment to the Lord, not in chunks of decades, not in chunks of even five years, or one year, or a month, but just in one day at a time. And for me, that's helpful. Because sometimes I, I, I can't make it more than, than an hour or two at a time, right? We tend to allow our minds to get ahead of ourselves and we get overwhelmed with the thought of spending a lifetime waiting on the Lord. How can I do that? And yet we forget that faithfulness to the Lord is simply a daily commitment. One day at a time. In fact, you think about Scripture and even Jesus' words in a number of, right? You think about Jesus as he's teaching the disciples how to pray. What does he, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus has a way of lumping our trust in him just in one day increments, right? What we want is, Lord, give me the lottery so I can be set with bread for the rest of my life. But instead, Jesus tends to operate in those one-day increments. Here's how you pray. Give me bread for today. Lord, teach me to be faithful to you today. Or even then later, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, the end, near, near the end of the chapter, Jesus tells his, his people there, he's there the Sermon on the Mount, he tells the people who are listening, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And what does he say then? He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow <laughs> will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Once again, it's, one day increments. Commit to being faithful and obedient to the Lord today. That's it. Don't, let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's not worry about next week. Just today. Or you even think of it back in Lamentations chapter 3. And, and we, we rehearse this verse often. Lamentations 3 uh, verses 22 through 27. I'll just take it there from verse 23. Right? Or starting in verse 22, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. And you're familiar, you know this verse. His compassions or his mercy never fail. That's another translation. His mercies are what? New every when? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's like God understands we need the extra boost of mercy every, on a daily basis. He doesn't give, us, give it to us in lump sums. He just gives it to us one day at a time. And I, I would say Anna's life, her life, her commitment, was one day stacked upon one day, stacked upon one day, stacked upon one day, stacked upon one day. And church, that's, my, that's an encouragement to us. It's an encouragement to me. Determined to be committed and faithful in your waiting today. On Saturday, yesterday, I guess, I was here at the church in the morning doing some work, and 
I retrieved the, ma- the mail uh, for the week, and uh, there in the mailbox was a returned church letter that we had sent out. It was dated May 23rd is when it was postmarked. Shows us the efficiencies of our U.S. Postal Service. And, um, well, probably not. It just shows us, yeah, there's, there's more to it, I'm sure. But it was a letter, a church letter that had been sent to Margot Davis. And uh, we know as a church, Margot was a part of this church from day one. And uh, she was a faithful woman who had multiple sclerosis. She was there in her 70s. She went to be with the Lord uh, early this past summer. And I did find it interesting. It said, uh, right on that, little, on that little yellow thing, it says, moved, <laughs> left, or, or moved, left no address. <laughs> and I thought, that is so fitting Yeah, she's moved. She's moved. Her faith has become sight. But I think as we think of, uh, I thought, what a perfect example of someone who just practiced daily commitment. Just daily. It was a struggle for her to just get out of bed. But she she chose to do that, and she chose to be joyful. She She was far from perfect, believe me. Far from perfect. She had her issues. We all do, right? We know that. But you think about her choice, her decision, that in the midst of life circumstances, she was committed to the Lord and she chose to be joyful in that. There's a lesson there that we can all learn, isn't it? And then finally, the third observation here that we get, point number three, is Anna's service in waiting. Anna's service in waiting. There in verse 37, we read, it says, she never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. Again, she's 84 years old. Some of us, some are closer to that age than others. A couple quick observations from this point that I'd like to to mention here. I think we are reminded of God's view of the elderly person. That God does not view the elderly person as useless or a burden to society. We live in a fast-paced world that idolizes youthfulness. And we have a way of neglecting the value of the older generation we do live in a fast-paced world in fact I was thinking about this uh, just earlier this morning as I was trying to kind of finalize this last point I thought yeah we we live in such a fast-paced world have you ever gotten upset at the elderly person who's driving on the road (laughs) who's driving slow in the fast lane or even driving slower in the slow lane and I thought shame on me Because we live, maybe, maybe I should just stick my bumper behind their bumper within an appropriate distance, of course, and just learn to slow down a little bit. And here we see highlighted, highlighted for us 
is this elderly woman, right? She, she did not set out in her life to be preached, to have sermons preached on her. That wasn't her goal. That wasn't her intent. But here she is. And, and why is it that God causes, causes Luke, leads Luke to, to write and re, to record her example? It's because there was a longing that sustained, it, her, that sustained her waiting. And she was, she was faithful in that. She was faithful to the end. Because God, I do believe God wants us to be reminded of the great value that the aged person has. We also see that Anna longed for the Messiah to come. Anna shows for us the passion of her life. Anna's hopes are rooted in God's promises. And think about this. We have, we have the opportunity to look on Jesus' life as recorded for us. We see the life that Jesus lived, don't we, through Scripture. I mean, for us living on this side of Jesus' earthly ministry, um, we, we are able to record how, or to, to read in, in the, the biblical record how Jesus healed the blind. We see all these wonderful things that Jesus did. We see how he made the lame to walk again. How Jesus fed the 5,000. How Jesus comforted the hurting. How he confronted the Pharisees. We see how Jesus showed love to the poor and the outcast. How, how he brought the dead back to life. And yet we still struggle to be passionate about Jesus. We see here Anna again I have to reiterate this, coming on the heels of the 400 years of silence, Anna's passion for the Lord was just overflowing, that she, she committed herself to serving there in the temples, that she longed for the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. Boy, if only we could just have the, the measure of longing, half the measure of Anna's longing in our own hearts, how would that change us? And then we see that Anna nurtured her waiting. I think this is important also, that Anna nurtured her waiting through her service to the Lord and through the practice of fasting and prayer. You see it there? She, may, she stayed there. She took up. She was there often. She was probably there when the doors opened and probably one of the last ones to leave. And she was fasting and praying. Boy, I can, um, I tend to jump into my days much too quickly. Thinking about my to-do list and neglecting those spiritual disciplines, neglecting time with the Lord and prayer. Why? Because, because we tend to think that the to-do list Actually, is actually getting things done. Let's just say it that way. It's like I'm actually getting something done. And yet here we have Anna committed to fasting and praying. It doesn't say that, that Anna went out and started this homeless ministry. It doesn't say that she was, she was a part of 
of some world-renowned or, or world-famous right, organization. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that she was known, that she was popular. She's highlighted for the act of serving the Lord in what we probably neglect most often. Fasting and praying. When I was growing up there in northwest Ohio, my parents will be able to relate to this. Uh, the custodian of the church, I've mentioned his name before. Forgive me for bringing him to mind again. The custodian of the church, his name was Leland Basinger. And when I was growing up, uh, he was a, an older gentleman. He was shorter and uh, a small stature man. But he faithfully cleaned that church building every week. And what often sticks out in my mind is where, when if he wasn't pushing a mop or picking up a mess that the kids had made, if he wasn't doing that, you could often find him at the back of the church sanctuary. And do you know what he was doing? There was a padded chair back there. A cushioned chair there in the back behind all the pews. And he would sit there <clears throat> with his copy of God's word open. Often had his head bowed. Now he very well may have been sleeping. And that's perfectly fine. <laughs> Not a problem with that, right? <clears throat> but I believe that Leland Basinger was praying. Just simply reading through God's word in the quietness of that sanctuary, alone with the Lord. He, he really was. He was a small guy in stature, but I believe he was, he was mighty in the Lord. And he was serving the Lord. And I thought even this morning, as a larger group, there's a few folks that have started to join our, our Sunday morning prayer time at 9 o'clock. Right? There's a little commercial, a little plug for that. And I thought probably some of the most important work that happens here on Sunday morning very well might not necessarily happen here. It probably happens in there. When we go to the Lord in prayer and when we commit ourselves to that, and it seems that Anna is nurturing her waiting by serving the Lord through these different practices. Because what we're waiting for has a way of directing our efforts and our preparation, doesn't it? Right? If, if I know I'm, I'm waiting for a vacation, I'm going to start preparing for that. If I'm hoping to get a, a, a certain job or have a certain career, I'm going to prepare for that. So our waiting, what we're waiting for, has a way of directing how we prepare for that. And Anna understands this. And we see how Anna aligned her life up with the coming Messiah. She, she looked down and she said, I'm waiting on the Lord's return. I'm waiting on the Messiah. So because I'm waiting for that, how am, I going to, how, am I, how am I going to live? How am I going to nurture myself in the waiting so that I'll be ready when he returns? I'll conclude with just a few applications with that thought in mind. Young person, 
as you think about your future, how does a passion for the Lord and a longing to see His return play into your hopes and your dreams for your future? Right? Where's that at in your planning? Do you think about that young person? Middle school, high school, college student? 20-something? Does that come into your, your thought process? For those of us maybe who find ourselves more in the middle-age category, category, how are we, I'm speaking to myself, how are we nurturing our waiting? Right? What has become most important in our hearts? Do you long to see Christ return? Are you, are you anticipating? Are you longing for that? Or are we focused on finishing our careers or climbing up just to the next rung on this ladder of social acceptance? Or those of us, those who are older among us, Anne is a great example to encourage us to finish well. To recognize that this season of life very well can be your best season of life as you walk with the Lord in close communion with Him. As you invest in the lives of young, younger people, of those who are coming behind you, Anna reminds us that God has not forgotten you, even though the world maybe has. That God has not forgotten you. And that He will reward you in your service and your worship to Him. And the prayers that you pray for your children, your grandchildren, maybe your great-grandchildren to come, they matter and they're significant and that God God hears your prayers it's been said that the highest style of Christianity is to wait for redemption and to love the Lord's appearing church are we longing Christ's return. In your heart, is it worth waiting for? Because if, if we don't believe it's worth waiting for, then we'll be miserable at waiting. We'll grow impatient. But may we learn from Anna's example that as we grow in our longing for the Lord, as we grow in our passion, as we grow in our commitment and our service to Him, as we establish that heritage line of faith, that there will be a day when Jesus returns and we'll say, it was worth it. It was worth it all. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You uh, for the example of Anna. Lord, we thank You
uh, for what we've learned this morning. And now, God, I ask that your, your Holy Spirit uh, would indeed uh, drive these truths deeper and deeper into our hearts. And Lord, that we would take an honest evaluation of our lives and that where necessary, uh, we would make some changes. Uh, that maybe we would turn from what we're seeking or what, we're, what we think is going to bring us enjoyment of life or what we're passionate about, God, and that we would turn and that we would truly long for Jesus' return. And may he come soon. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.